0: Hello, and welcome to Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We upload a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment. Today it is David and myself and we are going to talk about uh, current events, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the investing world specifically, um, and just kind of some thoughts David and myself have. So this is Matt Walters with the Mach 1 Market Moment. Thank you for joining us today. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about current events today. Yeah, this is, lots of times, you know, we'll dive into deeper kind of specific topics but from time to time we like to jump into just what's going on in the world you know we have these kinds of conversations on a daily basis with clients you know and prospects as they're coming in the office and so um, sometimes it's good to just take a step back and uh, you know record our thoughts on on various topics and things going on in the world so if you're not aware a lot a lot is going on there's a lot to keep track of You know, from a financial standpoint, investing, the markets, the economy, politically, you know, global risks. I mean, there's just, it's like everything across the board seems like there's a lot of anxiety um, with a lot of different things right now. So let's jump into it. One of the things I want to touch on was looking at a CNBC article the other day, and it was talking about how the Fed was kind of on track to begin slowing the asset purchase purchases that they've been making and maybe, you know, look at adjusting the interest rates. So, you know, I think there's kind of broad um, agreement with how markets might look at that. But David, what are your thoughts and and what do you think will that will lead to?
2: Well, you know, I think, unfortunately, the what the Fed does or doesn't do is such a an important thing for the market right now. You've probably heard the saying before, don't fight the Fed. Well, the Fed's been, you know, lowering interest rates and or Increasing uh, asset purchases for some time now. It really started with what was called quantitative easing back in the 2008 market crash. Right, it was a way for the Fed to try to, you know, fight that that deep recession that we went through, and what what would have likely resulted in a possibly a second great depression had the Fed not done what they were going to do, but. It's never really stopped. In, in truth, uh, ever since the 2008 market crash, the the quantitative easing, the ass- uh, quantitative easing was just a fancy way of saying the Fed was monetizing the debt. Right? They're just buying tons of government debt with borrowed money. Right. right? Um, and so that causes that causes bond yields to fall, um, and um, and just the the asset purchases and the uh, the resulting decrease in interest rates. Cause other issues that we're seeing in the economy, like for example, the low interest rates. I think are one of the most important reasons why you're seeing the housing economy, the housing market doing what it's doing. Right, where housing prices are just going through the roof because people are. In fact, I think we've mentioned on on this podcast the average going price here in Northwest Arkansas is something like twenty thousand dollars over asking price. So, so people are actually paying more than what their houses are even assessing for. You don't do that in a rational economy, but when interest rates are artificially below where they should be, people can make financial decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make. So in a way, I think it's good if if this is really true that the Fed is maybe going to increase interest rates. I think it's been long overdue. The problem is, I guess I would say, I'll believe it when I see it, because I've said for a long time i don't think the fed will ever increase interest rates again as long as they can control it because the government can't afford for interest rates to go up with the massive amounts of debt that we have i'm not sure the government can afford an increase in interest rates and and if they and if they really do raise interest rates i think it will have a very very detrimental impact on asset prices stock prices home values etc
1: yeah and the uh, the flip side or not the flip side but the question is, you know, how, if they inter- increase rates, but also by how much, right? I mean, yeah. if they just, if they increase rates by a quarter of a point. Or a tenth of a point. Or a tenth of a yeah. point, right? And then they try to make that out like, hey, we're really, you know, pulling back our, yeah. you know, monetary policies here. It's like, that may not have a huge impact, yes. right? But if they, it's it's how much is too aggressive on their front, you know? And um, I I kind of agree with you. I don't think we'll see rates... You know in a, what would be more of a historical average window, like five, six, seven percent for a very, yeah, very
2: long time. I can't time. see that happening, even though, in all honesty, that's probably where rates should be, right? But I just don't see that happening because, with the I don't even know what our debt is right now, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. I just don't see how you can raise rates and, and not immediately just crush the economy in the country
1: right so this goes into Yellen and came out yesterday and said she thought that higher rates would actually be good for the country so kind of to our point you know she or the the economy saying that that would probably more be a healthier position we kind of just touched on that i guess i guess we both agree with that to some extent
2: oh well, i think yeah i mean I, but the problem i agree yes i agreed that higher rates would be Would have let's put it this way. I think higher rates would have been good for the country and the economy years ago. I think they should have started this process shortly after the market recovered from the 2008 crash. But they just they wanted to keep it going, and and now they're in a. I believe they're at a point where they can't realistically increase rates very much. I think, like you were saying, Matt. I think the most likely scenario is they'll raise rates just a tiny bit, a tenth of a point, a quarter of a point and make it sound like they've really done something when they really haven't. Right. Um because I just I just don't see unless they want unless for some reason they intentionally want to crush the economy and the market, I don't see them making significant increases to interest rates.
1: One thing I wish we would do is and are guilty of it at times, but we is disconnect the economy from the stock market. Mm-hmm. You know, we all it's easy to like correlate the two and say that they're the one and the same but you know you see these recent examples of like GameStop AMC it's like the stock yeah. market and segments of the stock market can do crazy wild things and that says absolutely nothing about the like yeah especially segments economy. of the market like right. you're
2: saying like the GameStop thing i mean obviously GameStop is the most obvious example where the fundamentals of that stock were completely disjointed from the fundamentals of the company right, right? so the economy of GameStop was obviously not the same as the stock of GameStop right. in that situation. However, I do think, you know, when you take and you and I may disagree and that's okay, you can give your viewpoint, but I do think that when you take the the stock market as a whole, like the S&P 500 or the Russell 2000 where you've got 500 stocks or 2000 stocks in an entire index, I do think that it's a a pretty good representation not of how the economy is but what the future anticip- expectations or anticipations of how the economy will be in the coming quarter or two or maybe even in the coming year i do think that's a good uh, barometer for where the economy is heading
1: yeah no i agree with that i would say the stock market tends to pull those, the economic performance you know forward. forward for sure right and in real time the stock market might be due to something that you don't see in the economy but the, yeah. the two you know over time tend to you know represent each other Absolutely. Um, Over the long term. So interesting conversations. Next question or topic was, and I was digging into this yesterday and actually learned something on this child tax credit. So one of the, I I guess this was in in one of the stimulus packages that was passed. You know, there was multiple packages or pieces of legislation passed, but there was this child tax credit. And I was just under the assumption that this was just going to be a credit people received when they filed their taxes. And then I see this article come out yesterday about, you know, who would be eligible for for direct deposits and payments into their bank accounts based on their income and the number of kids they had and so I I dug into it and I I didn't know they were sending direct payments but that's exactly what they're doing for a lot of families you know up to like 300,000 or up to $300 per kid for, you know, if you make hundred and fifty thousand or less married filing joint, they're just gonna deposit directly into your bank account each and every month. Yeah. That's on a monthly basis. Every month. $300 so
2: three hundred dollars a month per child if you're less than 150000 hundred and fifty thousand married filing joint, right? Yeah. And I
1: think there's I think there's a maximum amount, like gross, you know, it's not like you can be like the Duggars and have 20 kids <laughs> yeah. and get like six thousand yeah. dollars a month. But but there's like a gross maximum. But but yeah, I mean, some people are gonna be getting
2: so it's a maximum of $3,600 uh, for each child under six. For each child. Six. That's over yeah. the course of the year. For the year. Yeah. Right.
1: But I think there's like a four or five kid limit or I don't know. I may be wrong on that. But um, but anyways, it's going to be a large amount of money for a lot of people. You know, if you yeah. have three or four kids, 900 1200 bucks 1200 a month just deposited straight into your bank account. I, I didn't really have too many thoughts on it when I th- said, okay, they're going to have a one-year increased child tax credit, you know, um, when you file your taxes, help people out. I guess it's, in a sense, one and the same, maybe. But it definitely feels different after I yeah. learned that they're going to be sending money. And you don't
2: to even people. have to do anything to, well, I mean, you don't have to do anything other than have filed a tax return to prove that you qualify right you don't kids. have to you don't have, yeah, to have a have hardship kids. you don't you have, don't have, to, have say. to have anything you just have to have a tax return that was filed that if you're married filing jointly that showed that your income was less than one hundred and fifty thousand, and then you're just going to start getting money from the government right yeah that's crazy in my opinion i i i believe that um unfortunately i think that our government is trying to acclimate people to socialism and acclimate people to the the idea of just getting quote unquote free money from their government. And we're going to have, we're going to have a whole podcast on this concept of socialism versus capitalism, probably at the end of June, maybe in July, maybe around independence day would be a good time to have it. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to be talking about that, but that that's what I fear is happening here. And, you know, we see, we saw it happen with the whole COVID stimulus, which, you know, maybe that was necessary. Maybe that needed to be done, but, just like with, uh, you know, the topic we were just talking about with quantitative easing. Maybe that needed to be done at that point in time to help fix what was going on, but they never quit doing yeah, it. They it's, just a kinda, it's a slippery slope. And so um, that's what I fear is happening is we're getting the American people acclimated or accustomed to the idea of getting this money from government and that's not going to be a good thing long-term.
1: No. And if, you know, I'm, we're both obviously all for helping people in need. The, Absolutely. The, I think we would both say that the government's not, shouldn't be the first and, yes. and best place for that to come from. But let's, ar- that argument aside, let's say the government is going to step in and help. If we're going to have these kind of episodes moving forward where people need short-term relief or short-term help, if, if a major event takes place, there needs to be a way for that to be, much, much, much more targeted. Absolutely, right. Instead of, oh, if you make below this Instead amount, of just if, everybody have this. You know, yeah. this. I mean, in my opinion, there's a lot of people who, well, not in my opinion. We've seen it. You know, people who didn't lose their job, right, making $150,000 as a family. Yeah, who are financially just fine, right? Right, and they don't need an extra $900 a month. Well, you know, when when you think about a like long term financial position as a country, like we should, we shouldn't. We should know that, right? And if these people don't need help, maybe we don't just send them checks. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, they, there's a saying out there that says, the I, I've got to mess this up, but it's something to the effect that uh, the closer a government is to the people, the the more effective it is. Right, right. right. Um, so if there was, a, to your point, if there's a way where like the county government or the city government could could help identify maybe through the aid of churches and school systems, or I don't know how you would do it. Yeah, If you could truly identify better those families who were truly, truly in need um, and use that to, you know, target who gets these extra benefits, that would be much more effective and much cheaper than just blasting money out to everybody.
1: Right. And you see those programs, like at schools, you know, they know the situation you have like free and reduced lunches for kids yeah. and that need extra help at schools. Well, yeah. they, they, you know They, they already know. know who those families yeah, are. Yeah, because exactly. there's the specific... And so you don't have people who don't really need that right. taking advantage mm-hmm. of that exactly. at the local
2: level. A perfect example of this, our, our church um, does uh, an event every year called the Christmas Store. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we determine which families are truly in need is through exactly what you're talking about. the you know Who is eligible for the free and reduced lunches uh, through the school system. So... T- exactly you know what you're saying we already have systems in place to determine who's truly in need and um you know if if someone had the will to figure this problem out it's not it wouldn't be difficult to right. do i i'm not sure though that there the will exists to figure this out i don't think it's that i don't think the government's necessarily even interested in helping people who are truly in need at this point i think the i think the government's interested in uh getting people acclimated to free quote unquote free money from the government. Yeah. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah. yeah it's, and we're going to see a, I think a tip for tap between the, the federal government and the States. And you've seen it where States have started saying, Hey, we're going to pull the extra $300 unemployment benefits. Yeah. Trying to get people to back to work. Right. Well now this is kicking in. Yeah. Right. And like States are like begging people, yeah. Hey, go, go back, go back to work, go get a job. I was driving to work this morning and, You pass the same McDonald's on your way to work and McDonald's has, you know, a hiring bonus, which is great. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not against that. But I've never seen that. I've never seen that before. I've never, you know, you see a lot of these places where you would not normally expect, again, not saying that's bad. I think it's great, but they're they're forced to do it. They're having to do that, trying to get people back to work. That's right. Um, And, you know, things like this is again, that going to put pressure on the states to well how can we really encourage people to not just get too accustomed to this extra income that they have coming in and you know you think
2: my mind's spinning with all the potential consequences of this because using your mcdonald's example if mcdonald's is having to give someone a what was it three hundred dollars i can't remember three hundred dollar hiring bonus and then they might also have to pay them they probably will have to pay them a higher hourly wage on top of that to incent them enough to not just sit at home and collect a paycheck well guess what's gonna happen to the price of a hamburger at McDonald's yeah it's gonna be it's gonna go up so all this creates inflation which is another major major potential problem that we have on the horizon with the the Fed talking about potentially raising interest rates we talked about that in the first segment and all these stimulus programs you know this this latest one this child tax credit issue that we're talking about right now this potential for a stagnant economy due to rising interest rates combined with high inflation due to all these stimulus programs that's called stagflation right. We saw it in the 1970s under the Carter administration it's very destructive to an economy yeah so you uh, yeah I mean it's it's hopefully that won't end up happening but um, these are the these are the kind of consequences that a country reaps. When you have leadership that doesn't understand how economies work, that are in charge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be longer term consequences when you seek relief in the short term. Yes. And I'm not saying, again, not saying like we're against helping people in the short term or trying to boost the economy, but, you know, keep things from getting too bad in the short. But you you try to mitigate the short-term pain, there's going to be longer-term consequences. Just
2: like with anything else in life, right? No pain, no gain, right? (laughs) You just say, I don't want to work out uh, because it's painful. Well, you're going to end up, yeah, you won't have the pain of the workout, but you're going to end up down the road having pain from diseases and right. problems that are going to kill you.
1: Yeah, and I, uh, on the McDonald's thing, I saw a former McDonald's CEO came out and said the higher labor cost was a direct reason why they, a lot of fast food restaurants, were investing heavily in automation and yeah. digital. You know, yeah, and so it's that, going to result gonna...
2: in unemployment. Uh, you know, our fewer jobs right that's going to be another potential consequence of this so high inflation low employment uh, or high unemployment i should say higher interest rates
1: all that yeah interesting conversation yeah and that's i think that's a conversation we'll be having for a while now i don't see i I don't see that going away anytime soon and last last thing i want to bring up so this everybody's heard about the colonial pipeline deal right you saw gas prices tick up and there was a big kind of well there's a short-term panic i think from a Supply standpoint, supply chain. You know, with the oil and gas and the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack. Well, I just saw the other day where you know I think they paid four point four million something around there to get the ransomware off or the you know hackers pay the ransom. Yeah. Yeah. And the U.S. as a our government, we were able to go back in and hack into the hacker's w- digital wallet and steal back like two point three million of that. Well, as soon as that was announced, Bitcoin dropped seven percent. It yeah. was an immediate you know drop, which in Bitcoin standard is just another normal yeah. day. I mean, <laughs> That's right. So, but it was an immediate knee jerk reaction that I think you could directly tie to that yeah. headline. Yeah, so, it's a
2: fascinating story. I mean, I. I, the whole Bitcoin thing just frustrates me, you know, it frustrates me that it's actually gaining acceptance. Maybe I shouldn't feel that way, but, but I do because I've, I've said over and over again on this podcast and to clients that come in, I feel like the most useful thing about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general is fraud and criminal activity. And this is just the latest proof that that is true. Um Warren Buffett feels the same way at their recent investor conference at Berkshire Hathaway. He was talking about in fact he he said I'm just not going to comment. On it. I don't know if you yeah, saw that story, yeah. Matt. He basically said I'm not going to comment on it because I know I'll make a lot of people mad. But his right-hand man commented and talked about how Charlie he just Munger. think yeah, Charlie, yeah. yeah. And he talked about how he just thinks it's terrible to see that Bitcoin is rising. Um, because it's it's so destructive and detrimental.
1: Well, and this is a good example. I think the reason you saw Bitcoin drop is because you know the the big the crypto people out there in the world, and not that we're like anti crypto people, right? We just don't have the, the same blockchain philosophy. thing. I think is is uh, valid, valid and technology useful. for sure. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But their their thing is that you know the security behind. The Bitcoin and how it's decentralized, you yeah. know, and I'm not an expert on decentralized that, but you read finance, all these things.
2: DeFi, they call it. Yeah. Right.
1: And this was kind of validation and proof of that hacking and stealing and getting into wallets is not impossible. Yeah, it's not impossible. We, we just Government just did it. Just did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and I think you saw that probably knee-jerk reaction to the news of, hey, we we were able to pretty quickly hack right back into their wallet and take a lot of that money back. Yeah. Um, that raises questions, yeah, In my opinion, absolutely. So,
2: well, I, that's another thing I've said for a long time. It, one of, I think, one of the drivers behind Bitcoin's popularity is the idea that it's going to maybe one day replace the dollar, or that if you, if you're concerned, kind of like gold. You know, gold always does well when. You know when the dollar seems uncertain people feel like they they want to rush to go because they think that's going to save them and i feel like that's a lot of what's going on with bitcoin right now is everybody sees the massive amount of stimulus print money printing irresponsible financial management by the fed and our governments like we've been talking about and people think that bitcoin is going to be the the save is going to save the day of that situation and i just think it's not true yeah um at the end of the day, and we've said this on this podcast before too, and to clients, at the end of the day, the ability to print and control your own currency is a major, major, major element of national sovereignty and national power. No national, no government, no sovereign government is going to just give up that power. And this late, this is the latest example that just kind of proves it. That you know, this these ransomware attackers tried to. The, and they were successful, at least for a short period of time, in shutting down an, a major element of national infrastructure and national power, which is the ability to, you know, get get oil down the pipeline. Right. Um, and then, and they were able to get paid through Bitcoin. And now our government showed that it's not beyond the government's ability to reach in into that bi- that supposedly secure Bitcoin wallet and get it right back out.
1: Right. Well, there's a reason that hackers, they're they're first option or first choice for payment is cryptocurrency yeah, i mean every time you see a ransomware attack they're requesting yes, and asking to be absolutely. paid in some form of crypto. absolutely you know and you know in our industry we're, we're always having to do like anti-money laundry training and mm-hmm. all of these things well can you imagine trying to do training and and fight against money laundering in the crypto space yeah, yeah. i mean it's just it's so out of control and in, in my opinion and there's so much unknown there that um it's just it has to be just fraud everywhere. And yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't see how that couldn't be true. Yeah. I um, agree
2: with you. And um hopefully this is the first of many stories of you know kind of proving that bitcoin is not as secure as people think it is and not beyond the reach of uh of the long arm of the government to Yeah to kind of crack down on the fraudulent activity that's happened.
1: One thing I've told people is if you want to look at crypto as any other highly speculative investment, yeah. right. people invest in baseball cards, right? Yeah, I would never pay a lot of money for a baseball right. card. A lot of people do, and yeah. a lot of people love it. Yeah. If you want to look at it like something that could go to zero, something that just pure kind of gamble on uh thing that yeah. other people great but you know the whole idea of you know it replacing and changing the way we fundamentally operate you know in the fun it just i don't see I'm that happening
2: there. i'm not there either i don't see that you know time will tell uh you know time may prove us wrong but i don't i don't see that happening yeah now i will say that i i can see a day coming where the world will be on a digital electronic one world currency i do well, think sure. that's in our future how long down the road is that? I don't know, but do I think that a private entity like a Bitcoin is going to be in control of that future one-world digital currency? Absolutely freaking not. <laughs> are, you,
1: are you wanting to start in times conversation? Yeah. No,
2: My, that's probably outside the scope of this <laughs> of this conversation. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, so a lot of good a lot of good topics to talk about. We'll we'll do another uh, one of these kind of just current events, you know, here, which we'll I do one every few weeks. Um, there's a lot going on, and so if there's any, ever anything you guys want us to um, want to hear from us or hear our opinion on, feel free to email us, as always, at the podcast tab on our website or email podcast at mock one fgcom um, As always, got a thought, thought of the day for you. This is from William Feather. One of the funny things about the stock market is that every time one person buys, another sells, and both think they are astute. so uh, just to repeat that one more time one of the funny things about the stock market is that every time one person buys another sells and both think they are astute so submit any questions if you have any conversations for us submit those on the website or email us we appreciate you guys listening and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment
0: does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit wwwmock one slash disclosures.